You know, the reason they, they like reading my stuff is that I've always got real-life examples to prove what I'm saying. There's a lot of good people that listen to this podcast. You know, other than God and my family, deer hunting would be next in line on my list of priorities. From the bottom of our hearts, it's it's just fantastic and awesome to uh, to have the support that you guys are getting. People ask me about expandable broadheads and love swings. <laughs> <laughs> Chasing Giants with Don Higgins and Terry Peer. Brought to you by Osseo Camo, nature's most lethal camouflage. Follow along as Don and Terry discuss the techniques, strategies, and dedication needed to harvest one of God's most amazing creations, world-class whitetails. Well, welcome to the Chasing Giants podcast brought to you by Osseo Gear with Don Higgins and Terry Peer. Episode 143, and I should have looked at my calendar, Don. Is it the 12th of November? It is November 12th. November 12th. Saturday evening. We got a lot to talk about tonight. We're going to talk rut hunting, uh, the lockdown, um, what Don and I have been seeing in the woods. Uh, But to be honest with you, right now we're just trying to warm up a little bit. It was cold out there today. I'll tell you what, it went from summer to winter without a fall (laughs) in between. Um, like within 36 hours, it goes from 80 degrees on Thursday afternoon to Saturday morning. It's like 20 and snow. I woke up this morning. I couldn't believe it. The ground was white. It was snow and heavy and, uh, it, it was winter time. Yeah. So we, uh, we came in, uh, your wife, Robin cooked a big meal. You have your family, your two grandsons are here. You're hunting yep. with your son-in-law. So good times. We're going to talk about all that. We're going to do a couple things a little bit different in order today. Uh, on Wednesday, I recorded a segment with Karen Ward for the Lester's Feet segment, and I didn't mean for it to be that long, but when you see this mother talk about her children and going through the struggle of having two kids with leukemia and still trying to give back, I didn't want to cut any of it out. So that mm-hmm. segment ran about 20 minutes, and we went ahead and released it on YouTube earlier this week. But I know a lot of our Amish friends don't get to see that, so we're going to post that as the audio at the end of this podcast. So make sure you stick around on that, and uh, we're going to have a uh, special Christmas project that those those little girls are doing to help uh, uh, families that are in the hospital over Christmas. It's really cool, so make sure you stay tuned for that. But uh, let's let's circle back. Uh, last week, um, we talked about the, the, the heat wave coming in, mm-hmm. not sure what we were going to do. I lasted till Monday at lunch, and I drove home and went to, back to work mm-hmm. for the whole week. So what, yeah. did I, what did I miss in Illinois last week uh, or these last uh, <laughs> five days with it being 70 degrees during the day? Uh, you didn't miss too much as far as uh, rutting activity. I mean, there was some, you know, in the first hour and last hour, but midday was dead. I mean, there was at least two different days, maybe three, where I did not get a single picture on a dozen cell cameras on multiple properties, didn't get a single deer picture during the entire midday period. And, and that's extremely rare for, uh, you know, November. But, you know, last week we talked about November 7th and 8th, how they are the top days and uh, I had big plans. Seventh was Monday, eighth Tuesday, and I had giant plans for those days. I was going to sit in the tree all day. I had sandwiches already made for both days, <laughs> food packed, and I, I was chasing a buck on public land. And uh, it, it's not close to home. It was it's probably three and a half, four hour drive for me. And so I drove Sunday after church. I drove there. 
all my food with me and everything for Monday and Tuesday. Um, I get up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom um, Sunday night, Monday morning, and I noticed my my phone had buzzed a couple times, and I thought, as I laid back down, I thought I better check my phone. See what, and I never check my phone in the middle of the night. Well, someone had sent me a picture of the buck that I was after. He had got shot that weekend. So there I, I drove four hours to this place <laughs> to hunt. I, I'd paid for two nights in a motel, already paid for it, and I was sitting there ready. And then, you know, 1 o'clock or so in the morning, I get a text and my hunt's over. Well, and there's not a lot of going back to sleep after that no, either. So there's not. But so you woke up Monday morning. You pulled your stands, your cameras, and then uh, made the trek back home. So congrats! First of all, congratulations to the guy that that Absolutely. shot it. I mean, yep, a giant on public ground. I mean, obviously it was on your bucket list, and uh, he he closed the deal. So whoever you are out there, uh, congratulations! Well, actually, the young man reached out to me. Um, he heard that I was hunting the deer as well. Um, just a great young man. Uh, I'm not going to mention his last name is because I don't have permission to use his name, but to Ben, um, and I sent him every trail camera picture I had of that buck throughout the summer. And, you know, I, I'm the, when somebody shoots a big deer, I, I'm the first to congratulate him. It, it takes a real turd of a human being for me not to congratulate him. <laughs> um, which there are a bunch of turds, by the th- way. There are a few and I've <laughs> run into a few this year. Um, but, but this was a, just a fantastic young man. It's only his second season of bow hunting. Wow. And hats off to him for killing this buck. Uh, it, it was a, a non-typical buck had a drop tine on one side that was broken off, but I had some awesome pictures of this buck before he broke that drop tine, and even some in velvet um, that I sent Ben. So uh, congratulations to him. Yep. So uh, you got back then on Monday afternoon. Um, talk, talk us through. I'm I'm sitting at work every night watching the cell cameras feeds. They're dead. Uh, some nighttime activity. Seeing everybody on social media say that the rut's not happening, you know, the rut was happening. It's just the weather had everything suppressed. Yep. And then um, what happened is we got, because there was some big deer killed in different places. It yeah. was just really spotty, I think. Well, actually, uh, you know, I came home uh, Monday and, and I pulled all my stands and cameras on that public land and I got home in time to hunt. And uh, I went and hunted a uh, uh, private property that i just got permission there's no food plots or anything there just a permission property and uh, I, I actually got to witness for the first time a buck breed a doe um about 160 inches yeah i remember you buck. said on the podcast you'd never seen that i so. never had until this week <laughs> and i got to witness that at about 20 yards got some great video footage i didn't get the breeding on video but uh, i got him chasing that doe around and and doing all that and grunting and and, and just that whole process so uh that was a great hunt, but I've had several good hunts this week. Yeah. I uh, I got out of the stand Monday morning and raced back to Kentucky and hunted on my home farm Monday night. And um, it's kind of like hunting here. Um, I don't have the size deer you have, but with all the food and cover I have, you always see deer. I saw mm. one doe. Uh, that whole night. So, um, yeah, it was definitely a, an odd, I, I think it was, I don't know if it was full moon, but it was a bright moon. It was full moon. Was early. it full yeah. moon in the early in the week? And then we had these temperatures. So, I mean, just completely shut down. Then we transitioned, start looking at the weather forecast, start seeing the fronts move in. Uh, I think a lot of the Midwest and the East Coast got hit with the hurricane coming up through and changed some things. 
Um, I left work last night. You were already in bed when I got here, and mm-hmm. I was gone this morning in the snowstorm before you got out of bed. But, uh, boy, when we got to the stand today, uh, my phone app said it felt like it was 18 degrees outside with wind chill. So, Well, I, it was cold for my son-in-law, Corey, and I sitting in the 360 blind this morning. I can't imagine <laughs> sitting out on a tree stand this morning. That had to be cold. So I did a, I don't do it very often, but I did an all-day set today. And, um, what was, what was odd to me is early at sunlight, the snow was coming down pretty hard. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it stopped snowing, what, about eight o'clock, something like that. Yep. And I didn't see much deer movement until after the snow stopped. Um, I don't know if you all saw some before, but I think I only saw one doe, uh, in the first, probably before eight o'clock. And then I started seeing some activity. Um, not sure if it's just, I couldn't see very far cause of the snow or they just weren't moving. That was pretty much what we seen. I don't know if we seen many at all um, before about eight, but once that snow stopped, it was just a parade of deer. We was hunting over a, a plot of uh, real world soybeans, and I'm telling you what, every deer in the woods I think hit that soybean plot at some point today. Um, they, it was just one after another, and this group would come and they'd leave, and here'd come some more from a different direction. And and the more I get into this, that's that's what's almost more fascinating to me than anything, because you you have these days where, you know, you're really high temps, and they're all going to green, mm-hmm. and then the first day they haven't been eating soybeans that much at all this last week, and right. then the first cold morning. They're in there on those high oil so- soybeans. So yeah, it was. So I ended up setting all day. I did see some midday movement. Um, uh, I think I saw nine bucks total. Most of them were dinks. Uh, saw two three year olds. Um, but um, yeah, that was a fun day in the woods. Um, long set. It was cold. Mm-hmm. I had to sit beside the fireplace when I came in for a couple <laughs> minutes to warm up a little bit, but, uh, fun yeah. day. So what do we have to look forward to the next couple of days with weather here? What are we going to do here? We're, let's talk, we're going to talk about the weather now, mm-hmm. take a break for Osseo, then come back and talk about this lockdown phase. Well, you know, it's supposed to stay cold here all week. Um, high temperatures around 40 degrees. And then next weekend, uh, which will be the Illinois gun season. It's supposed to have another cold front. It's going to be even colder. Um, there's a couple of days I don't believe the temperature is getting above freezing. Uh, one day I think the high is going to be uh, 22 or something. Um, so, to be honest, it was amazing to me how fast those deer switched from rutting activity to almost a winter um, late season pattern where they're hitting the food. Oh, what you were talking about this morning when yeah. they just came out and fed. There was no you didn't see any chasing. Well, we we seen some bucks and, and there was a couple little bucks that might have bumped the does a little bit, but it was nothing like you would expect at this time of the year. If it was temperatures would have been normal. And even this evening we seen a handful of bucks this evening on a totally different um real world soybean plot and you know, they were hammering that plot from the time we got in this afternoon until we left, there was deer in that plot. And a half a dozen or so bucks came through, and a lot of them were feeding. And then about uh, 40 yards from us was a Nutri-Crave corn plot, and they were feeding in that as well. So between the soybeans and the corn, the does especially, you know, they were. it was just like late season. We came out, and in one plot on our walk out, there was nine deer um, feeding wow. in that plot. Yeah. And those does are kind of herded up, and I don't know if they're family groups or what, but they're herded up, and... Uh, the bucks are, I would say about half of the bucks we've seen might have done a little bit of checking the does, bumping them a little bit, but no, no serious chasing. 
And then the other half of those bucks, they were feeding. And I'm hunting 30 minutes away from you on a green field, and all of the bucks that I saw were cruising or bumping. Really? So none, no feeding activity in the mm. green whatsoever. I don't know if that would have changed if you'd had soybeans there. Yeah. If, yeah, it, I, I'm guessing it would have because yeah. that's what we've seen. So, again, we, we talk about this all the time. Diversity is key. Mm-hmm. So let's take a quick break and listen to our friends from Osseo. Make sure that you're following them on social media. They just announced a pre-early uh, open of a Black Friday sale, I believe, 40% off? 40%. I think it's 40. the biggest discount they've given. Yeah, so um, if you want Osseo gear, now is the time to go look for it. And uh, I wore those shooter gloves today. Do you have a pair of those yet? I do. Yep. The fantastic. I, I made a post mm-hmm. about that today. So uh, watch this from Osseo. Make sure you look at that 40% off coupon that's active right now. Osseo gear introduces a premium line of bow hunting gear that is unmatched. Pairing nature's finest camouflage with the best technological innovations, Osseo Gear brings whitetail bow hunters the gear they need to be the best at their craft. The unique camouflage mimics the intricate feather pattern of North America's greatest predatorial creatures. Designed for invisibility, built for comfort, and engineered for function. Visit OsseoGear.com. That's A-S-I-O-Gear.com to start shopping. Osseo Gear, prepare to be invisible. All right. Um, first of all, before we talk about lockdown phase and kind of the plan for the for the next week of hunting, I'm in Illinois all week. I'm, I'm, you're going to be hunting as well. But, um, you know, Wes Duck shot a good buck last night. He did. Congratulations to Wes. Yep. And uh, uh, one of our – he hasn't posted anything about it, but one of our master class attendees, Josh Kiter, shot the biggest buck of his life this morning in Ohio. So um, I, we can't mention everybody because there's so many, but mm-hmm. we really appreciate you guys uh, texting us or uh, tagging us on social media when you um, are able to close the deal on it. Um, Wes's story was pretty elaborate, though. Did you read that on social media? I didn't read the whole thing, no. I was uh, something about uh, the one of the bucks was breeding a doe and killed the doe. Oh, I didn't see that. Yeah, so I, I'm not sure, but something about it. it I don't want to misstate it, but the way I read it, that the doe actually died getting bred, and the picture huh. that he has of him and his buck, the, he, he drug the doe out too. The doe's laying right in front of the buck. Interesting. So he had a very – I gra- bet that was the king buck. I'm telling you, that was the king buck. <laughs> Wes killed the king buck. Wes killed the king buck. I bet he stomped all the way to his tree stand. I bet and, he did. Um. So let's talk about lockdown a little bit. You know, the 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 weather's kicked in. Um, we saw right now we see a lot of dinks. So mm-hmm. I don't I don't necessarily just like intentionally hunting scrapes right now. Um, you tell me if I'm wrong or not. But once it gets into the rut, my experience, at least on the farms at home and the few that I hunt here in Illinois, only the the small little dinks are going back checking scrapes. The the better bucks are checking bedding cover or in mm-hmm. lockdown. So as these as these bucks are breaking off of the does, what are they doing? What do we need to be prepared for? Is it decent all-day sits? Is that depending on where you're at? Well, it just depends on the specific situation, the buck that you're after. You know, if he's locked down with a doe, he's going to be pretty tough to kill. Mm-hmm. He's going to be with her, and he's probably going to be in an out-of-the-way spot. And uh, he's, they're not going to move a whole lot, although there may be some chasing. A lot of that takes place in wide open ag fields, you know, 
hundreds yep. of yards from any cover. Uh, the key this time of the year during that lockdown phase is to catch that buck between those. Mm-hmm. And we're still, you know, right in that prime time where the does are coming in heat just one after another. Right. And that buck doesn't have to look very long. He leaves one hot doe, and it's not too long until he finds the next one. Um, and, and we've got probably, uh, this being the 12th, we've probably got at least 10 to 12 more days of that. And then it's going to start the period that he's got to search for his next hot doe is going to be so much longer. It's Your odds of catching up with that buck is going to be a whole right. lot better. So uh, good idea, bad idea, find downwind sides of bedding and camp out as much as you can because he could break off of that doe at any time. It could be at 1 o'clock in the morning or it can be 1 in the afternoon and he's up looking. Right. So uh, my approach for this time of the year is in the mor- on morning hunts, get close to bedding cover, the downwind edge of bedding cover, afternoon hunts, hunt food sources. Yep. Because if he's not with a hot doe and he's looking – he knows that in the afternoon they're going to be hitting the food sources. That's where he's coming to find them. Yep. And, I mean, um, it's just – it's it, you could be 30 miles apart and have completely different uh, insight and in what's going on based on when that buck breaks off of that first doe and finding that second doe. Right. You, you could actually be on the opposite sides of the same woods and have to- totally different hunts. One guy will swear nothing's going on. The other guy thinks it's just red hot. So, I mean, norm- we talked about this, I think, two or three episodes. I normally don't stay in all day, but I pack accordingly. And if the deer movement's still going, I'm going to stay in, which mm-hmm. is what I did today. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm, um, I think with me having vacation all this week and it being cold, I'm going to spend as much time in the tree as I can. Good plan. All right. Well, um, let's go ahead and uh, tee up our first question. We're going to save a little bit of time at the end of this for that Lester's Feet segment and the Christmas project. So why don't we go ahead and tee off on the first question, if that's works for me. All right. All right. The first one comes from Rick. You know what? I'm going to need some reading glasses if this is going to happen. Right. <laughs> we have our uh, assistant over here. Let's see if he gets on camera. I bet he gets on camera. No, I've already no. tried to drag him on the camera, and he's not going to have no part of it. The ninja, I, I nicknamed him the ninjas, is in the house tonight. Uh, uh, Don's son-in-law, Corey's here, uh, <laughs> but he refuses to get on camera with us. So, All right, first question comes from Rick Maga. M-A-G-A, make America great again, Rick. <laughs> Greensburg, Pennsylvania. Um, Rick says, this is the first year I concentrated on hunting the wind. I checked the wind on multiple weather apps and decide, decided to which stand to hunt. After hiking into the stand, more times than not, the wind is completely opposite. On days the conditions allow, I switch locations, but can be difficult some days. I frustratingly go home. All the weather reports suck. <laughs> okay, Rick. Can you talk on how to predict this better and so I'm not wasting time? Thanks and God bless. Well, Rick, we've talked about this in the past, but it's it's so important. I think it's worth hitting again is that you've got to learn the weather or the wind and how it how it works in each stand location. So, in other words, at your home, if you've got a weather sock like I do or a wind sock and, and you, you see the winds out of the south, so you assume you got a south wind, but – you get to a particular stand that you think requires a south wind, and boom, it's it's not. It's opposite there of what you're expecting. 
you may need a north wind to hunt the stand that you think you need a south wind from. So what it really boils down to is learning every specific stand location and what the wind does there in relation to what it does at your home or wherever you're checking the wind to start with. Um, learning to play the wind is a never-ending process. It takes years. And it as you pick up new properties, as you put up new stands, you're continually – um, you know, gathering data information on, hey, this is really the wind I need uh, to hunt this stand. It doesn't look like it when I'm sitting here at this stand. It looks like I need a south wind, but really that south wind, as it cuts through this terrain, it swirls, and I really need a north wind. And that's just one example. But you've got to learn how the wind traverses across the, the terrain at each specific stand location. So keeping notes about like what he's when he goes in and it's wrong like right now yep. look at your weather app and it says it's a north northwest mm-hmm. wind but it feels like it's a maybe a straight north or a straight west wind make a note of that right. and then the other thing that I think um, you know we're all looking for stuff to do in February mm-hmm. it's a great opportunity when we're going out putting those stands up to also pay attention to the right. to the wind when we're doing that mm-hmm. so that we see um the property that comes into mind where you did a consulting job on is our friend Todd down in Kentucky mm-hmm. yeah he had this he has this huge big ridge uh, I don't even know how many stories tall it is but I mean just ginormous that comes out and that wind hits off of that hillside and will swirl on it mm-hmm. and he actually put a big wind sock out in the middle of the field really? just so just so yeah. he could he could watch it mm-hmm and that that's what it takes. There's no just looking at the weather forecast and hey, the wind's south today. Um, I, I can look on Onyx uh, maps or whatever, and I can see that hey, that south wind's going to go this direction. Well, maybe and maybe not. So it's just continual gathering of data to make yep. sure you're doing it right. Yeah, I agree. Well, um, I, I didn't tell you I was going to do this, so I, I started out of boredom last week. Um, posting these facts from the stands on my social <laughs> I, media. I see a couple of them. <laughs> so uh, uh, somebody actually wanted me to use them on the podcast and and to 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 ask you if you had any experience oh with any of these. So because um, <laughs> this will so, be good. So 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 for our Amish friends that don't have social, or the people that listen that don't have social media, basically what I'm doing every week or every time I sit in the woods is I come up with fake news or fake uh research as it relates to mm-hmm. are you, you trying know. to get a job at cnn or yeah what? see i could i could become yeah. a, i could become a liberal now i could just make stuff up and report it but uh the first one i think i, I posted or the second one was that i believe it's 90 94 of all deer hunters when they pass gas in in the tree stand they think to themselves that sounded kind of like a buck grunt and then yeah. they look to see if – so have have you ever passed gas in a stand and think that it sounds like a buck grunt? Well, or? how do you think I killed all these deer? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Soup beans is my favorite deer hunting food. I, I mean, know that's you go not – Folks, I've been in the I've been in the tree stand with Don when he's had a code brown and see him do the mad dash across the soybean field. <laughs> Corey's raising his hand. Corey's seen it. He's seen yesterday. It I can guarantee you're not eating soup beans before a uh, before a deer hunt. You couldn't handle that. So, all right, but we'll we'll uh, occasionally tee those up so everybody people. Yeah, I'll have an answer. <laughs> It might not be the one you're looking for, but I'll have an answer. All right, what's our next question? 
Our next one comes from Alex Jones from Shelburne, Indiana. Alex says, hey, guys, I was wondering how come the two of you don't lease a piece of property together? I know Terry hunts on your home farm, but didn't know if you guys have any other properties together or not. Also, I have a question pertaining to decoys. I have used a DSD decoy of a buddy's just to see if it worked, and it seemed to cause more harm than good. Wondered if you all had any input on them. Thanks. Well, I'll do the decoy question first. Yeah, decoys are, my experience with decoys is uh, pretty much all been negative. I've seen way more bucks spook from a decoy than come in to check it out. Um, They seem to know. I I know in the Kansas and and out in the Plain States, they seem to work a whole lot better than they do, you know, here in the Midwest. Um, I wouldn't waste my time carrying one in. In fact, I carry enough gear. Last thing I need to do is carry a plastic deer along, too. And uh, I think I think one thing on this is is especially back when the outdoor channel got started or when we had hunting DVDs and you go to Blockbuster and rent the VHS mm -hmm. tapes, you would see something like this and it would be in Texas or it'd be in Kansas and then everybody flocks in. But if if I'm going to Kansas and I'm in open prairie and I'm only there for a week using some idea like that, why not? Mm hmm. But on my home farm where where I'm trying to keep intrusion down and manage the property, and I think that's where the hunting industry has changed so much is we're not watching these things, understanding that these celebrity hunters are just going for a three, four-day hunt with an outfitter or something, and it's all mm-hmm. every gimmick I can throw at it, and hopefully it works out right. versus, versus managing a property. Mm-hmm. I think there's two different sides of that. Well, Alex is from Indiana, which is the reason I answered it the way I did. If he would have been from Kansas, I, I would say it's worth a shot out there. Those deer rely on their eyes a whole lot more than they do here in the Midwest. Here, here they use their nose a lot more. And, and I'm not saying they don't use their nose in the Plain States, but they definitely use their eyes in those open prairies to find the does or whatever. So uh, it's kind of probably a a region specific answer but my experience is you're going to spook a whole lot more bucks with a decoy than that it's the same conversation as rattling exactly they have a whole lot more luck with that down in texas and Mm -hmm. occasionally you know in other areas so good point yep so how come we don't ever lease ground ground we don't we don't disclose everything we do on the podcast because people follow us and chase us around everywhere we go so we even had people buy property that they thought we were hunting next to them just so they could set our property line because they thought we were hunting a, another piece of property. So mm-hmm. um, there's a lot of things we do we don't talk about on the podcast necessarily. I don't hunt here that much. I hunt some when, you know, I don't have something to chase. But Well, uh, my son-in-law, Corey, here, he had to have a real talk with me today about uh, watching what I say on the podcast tonight because uh, – yeah. <laughs> I can tell you that I can tell you that um, you know as the as the further we go along with what we're trying to do, you you have you still have the public land thing as your bucket list, and when you mm-hmm. find another one, I'm sure you're going to go after it. Mm-hmm. Um, but honestly, I'm I'm getting to the point in my life I don't want to deal with permission properties. I don't want to deal with leases. I would rather have my property that I can control and be there. Um, I've dealt with, and you've dealt with just all these different permission properties that you have. The, the variables are so high in it. 
And, um, you know, I still can't afford to just go buy farms everywhere I want to hunt, but, um, I'm pulling away from having as much leases and permission properties as I used to. I mean, it's just, just, I guess the phase mm-hmm. I'm in right now, I'm, I think- I'm sick of trespassers. I'm sick of spotlighting. I'm sick of, yeah. The last two questions that I picked for tonight, you're going to have to hold me back from going on some big rants, and I may have to hold you back from going on a rant okay. or two. I haven't read we're, the we're, questions yet, so. We're going to get into some things uh, that that I've seen just continue to grow. So you're issues. saying I might have to do post-production editing in this episode? Oh, we, uh, we, haven't, <laughs> we don't do much of that around here. We don't do any of it. Um, so, but... Here, number the the first thing is, there is properties that Don and I have had together, um, have together, um, but because of how we get basically tailed and people talk about where we're hunting, we don't talk a lot about it. Um, it's sad that that's the way it is, but that's the way it is. So, sorry for dodging your question, but I'm going to dodge your question. If anybody knows where there's a great property for Terry and me to lease. <laughs> just send us a private message please yep all right all right next question uh the next one comes from robbie who wouldn't leave his last name he's from williamstown kentucky isn't I, that close to you i know robbie i know who this is oh hmm. what did he ask robbie says don and terry here lately i have been noticing a lot of famous hunters stating november 6th and 7th <laughs> being some of the best days to hunt I don't know if I haven't been paying attention before listening to you guys or what, but lately I have been noticing it. Well, Robbie, um, thanks for your submission. I've been noticing some things too, <laughs> Robbie. Um, you know, here's one thing that kind of irritates me a little bit about what I see today out of the hunting, com- not the hunting community, the hunting industry, if you will, people trying to get into the the hunting industry is, there, there's very few people that are sharing information that they gained firsthand. And in other words, they're just, they're just repeating things that they've heard someone else say, and they have absolutely zero experience of their own to validate what they're sharing. I see it all the time. And you, you just give one example, people saying how good November 6th and 7th is. And you never heard it before us. I'm not saying that I'm the first guy that ever said November 7th is the best day to hunt. But it's it's just rehash of the same information that these guys that are, are trying to make it into the hunting industry don't have any original material to share. So they're just rehashing stuff that people have been talking about for years. Um I probably let her let Terry take this over before I get on a really serious rant here. <laughs> I I only talk about the things I'm experts in, so that's why I talk about snack cakes a lot. Well, <laughs> have you been in touch with Little Debbie yet about a sponsorship? I have not. Well, I, I have somebody not. is going to run to Little Debbie about a sponsorship because they heard us talk about well, it. That's all right. That's but. Little Debbie's actually a customer of mine on my day job, so really, yeah. well, you got an inside the track company, to get us. Company some called McKee Foods in Tennessee. You do a sales call there, and like their lounge, you can get like hot brownies or Swiss cake rolls off the line where they're still warm, and they have milk, and so 
I don't. I don't. Can need... you get me a meeting with the CEO so I can talk to him about a sponsorship? We don't need sponsorships that bad, Don. <laughs> we're we're okay. <laughs> uh, little Debbie's. If we have a, a a free supply of Little Debbie's for the entire season, I'm already fat. What what are you trying to do here? I'm I'm the what what was it the overweight bait steak guy? Yeah, uh, that, that's just some. That's that's a Jacoby. That's a Jacoby. <laughs> that's absolutely a Jacoby. All right, Robbie. Good question. Um, hit me up sometime. Hope you killed a good one today. Hey, Spinks from Quiet Cat here in our virtual showroom space where you can connect with a product expert and learn all about our bikes, our accessories, and what makes Quiet Cat the leader in off-road electric bikes. Schedule a live session today by clicking in the link below or going to quietcat.com slash meet. All right, what's our next question? Let's see if we can get you wound up here. Well, I'm going to read, the if it's okay, I'm going to read the last two questions because they're very similar. And the reason I picked out these two is because I've got so many questions similar to these two that it needs to be talked about. It needs to be talked about. I haven't read them. So okay. Literally, you did this as the, I was walking in the door today. The first one comes from Andrew from Eau Claire, Wisconsin. He says, hey, fellas, thanks for taking my question. This year I purchased my first property, 40 acres, fully wooded with lots of bedding, no water, and only food is acorns and browse. Anyone can see from an aerial my land was logged in the past 10 years. The southeast 10 acres was clear-cut, resulting in some of the best bedding in the neighborhood. During my first hunting season, an outfitter to one property line placed a stand less than 50 yards from the line and a client shot a buck that came out of the property and then ran back into mine to die. Another adjacent property owner did the same thing along a different property line. Obviously, I can't control how they hunt or where they place their stands, but I can see my hunting turning bad in a hurry if I keep allowing neighbors to recover their deer on my land. I'm guessing both of you came across this issue before. What would you suggest? Great podcast, and good luck the rest of the season, Andrew. The next question. That one kind of hurts. (laughs) The next question comes from Jay Thielen from Westphalia, Michigan. It says, Don and Terry, thank you for all the good you do in this world. My question is about screening away neighbors at property lines. We have neighbors that own 300-plus acres in our section, but they constantly hunt 20 yards south of our fence line. When doing this, they do not take into consideration their wind, so on a south wind, their scent blows straight into our six acres of switchgrass, causing deer to move out of there. We only have 13 acres of bedding, and then it runs into 100 acres of open agriculture. How would you solve this issue that allows the deer to stay there? My goal would be to screen them out, but their tree stand is so high to do that. It's too high to do that. Can't wait to hear your input. God bless Jay Thielen. You know, this season, I have experienced more negative situations from other hunters than any season in my life. And I have also heard more complaints from, just like these two, from other hunters about neighboring hunters. 
or trespassers or whatever. Trespassers. I mean, it, it. We could go right down the the line. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and I've always been a proponent of treating others the way you want to be treated. Now, each situation is a little bit different. When you talk about property lines, each situation is a little bit different. So. If you've got two guys with properties next to each other and, and each one of them are, are doing their best to manage their property for quality deer, then I think there's a there's a potential for those two landowners to work together and uh, for a com- towards a common goal. Now let's say you've got a landowner who has a property that he's managing for the best deer that he can. And next to him is nothing on one property line is maybe next nothing but maybe wide open ag fields where that landowner is doing absolutely nothing for the deer, but yet he wants to sit right on the line. I think that's a totally different situation. Um, I've said it before, and I'm saying it again because I'm telling you it's going to happen. It's happening right now. Fences in the Midwest are coming in, in, in a big way. There's going to be, I, I've seen it with my consulting, and it's, it's more than doubling each year. The people that are becoming more interested in building fences on property lines to fence out a bad neighbor is growing at an exponential rate. I've said many times if I was a young person looking to start a business in the outdoors, I would start a fencing company because I'm telling you, the clientele is just the we're guys not, that never thought about We're not talking about, about a high fence all the way around your property. No, we're not talking all the way around about a property. section of fence mm-hmm. where you got some idiot that's coming in, sitting on your property line, shooting across your property line, blowing his stuff into your bedding to just blocking him off to where the deer don't have a straight path. Right. And that's, and that's what we're talking about. Not a, right. not a, not complete, a Jacoby fence. <laughs> Where you fence in your whole property except one little hole. Yep. We're, we're talking about yep. down one side, maybe two sides of a property. I, I've seen it on many of the properties I consult on that's already got it, and I've had other c- clients ask about doing it. What do you think about putting a fence down this side? Well, the thing that I tell them, and I'll just say it right here on the podcast for everybody listening, is, is you got to remember that wherever you end your fence, there's a funnel for both sides funnel for your side and a funnel for the other because those deer are going to work around that end of that fence and you, you got to be very careful about how you do it but th- that's a way to take care of a bad neighbor and i'm telling you i'm telling you it's coming to the midwest as, in a big way and i wouldn't be surprised if 25 years from now the midwest looks similar to texas where high fences are very common as one guy wants to manage different than his neighbors yeah I want to dive in a little bit more to what he said about scent, and I don't know if you've ever looked at this, but we talk about a deer backing up into miscanthus mm-hmm. to uh, to to protect himself from the wind, especially in the thermal. Have you ever gone out and checked the wind on each side of your heavy miscanthus that you've had five or six years up that's really, really thick? Could miscanthus help block some of that wind right up against the he's talking about his switch grasses right close mm-hmm. to the property line would miscanthus along one side of that or is the wind gonna is it gonna carry it right through the miscanthus is it enough to block it mm, that's a good question i i don't i can't answer that that should be a research project for us over the winter well i think the way to, to test it is to get up in the state he talks about the neighbor's stands are so close that 
Um, yeah, if they're right on top of it, there's nothing you mm-hmm. can do. I mean, the way to test it would be with milkweed, you know, see how it reacts to that miscanthus. That miscanthus, that might act like a wall where that, that wind blows and hits it and comes right back and eddies. Yeah. And doesn't go really through the miscanthus. Yeah. Just an idea. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Be interesting after you get it mature. If we, if you, uh, if you did have a neighbor embedding and switchgrass and stuff, if we put a strip along that, if that wouldn't protect it a little bit. Mm-hmm. I think one thing we need to stress here is that I fully encourage good relationships with neighbors. Sure. Even if it's a neighbor that's not a deer hunter, um, his interest may be totally the opposite of yours. Maybe he's got an orchard and he hates deer. Whatever the relationship is, I, I think we should all try to have a good relationship with every neighbor. But I, I'm also not so naive to think that there's people that you just can't get along with. Well, and and let's face it. I mean, we, we've already sat in here and list, looked at Topo and Onyx tonight about a strategy for me this week because of trespassers. Mm-hmm. I'm have, I, I have a permission property that me and my friend are the only ones allowed on it and there's trespassers and I'm having to change my plan just to avoid conflict because I don't trust these guys. I mean, it's, it's like, are you kidding me? Mm-hmm. It's like, I'm, I'm having to change my stuff because somebody else is breaking the law. I, I know I'm telling you, I've got a long list of my own complaints from this season alone, but I've also heard just like these two questions we've read so many, I mean, it's way more than I've heard in the past. And it's, you and I have said it before, Terry, big deer make people do stupid things. And uh, <laughs> so you got, you really got choices. I mean, obviously, if you own the land, there's not a lot you can do other than sell it and relook. And that's not feasible in many cases. If it's a permission property, you avoid it. I mean, it's you move on. Uh, that's why finding a good piece of property that doesn't have people setting the property lines, it has, it's, it's, it's getting to where it's almost impossible. It really is. Well, and you're exactly right. And public land is even worse. But it's it's a good question. I mean, managing neighbors and uh, people that break the law and crooks and unethical people, um, it's it's probably harder than actually figuring out what a whitetail's doing and having a shot at killing it. Well, uh, I'll it tell is. you. Dealing with, dealing with the crap oh, that no- everything, and if there's a big deer involved, it's even worse. People are the worst part of, of everything in life, really, but deer hunting's no different. I mean, yep. people are the worst worst thing you've got to deal with with deer hunting. Did it's you do okay, deer. Corey? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we have we have a third party audit that's going to happen to this and and tell us what we're allowed to say. And He's trying to keep me under control. Yeah. Um, he spent all day with you today and seeing you fired up. I didn't get too fired up today. I don't think, especially from some of the things I've seen today. Yeah. Well, I saw a picture of a really big buck that I want to go hunt, and I'm trying to figure out how to not to get shot or run off or ambushed if I go in and hunt a property that I have permission to do. So. That's pretty pathetic, you know. Yeah. When, when you got to worry about your own well-being. We've worked hard to get the relationship to get the properties and access to it, and then um, the idiots come in and ruin it for everybody. Mm-hmm. It's a shame. I wish I had a better answer. I, I think each situation needs to be handled specific to that situation. Mm-hmm. If it's a neighbor that you think you can deal with, it's logical that maybe will understand your plight, um, 
you give lay out your case there's other people where if you if it's just impossible you either sell your land and move on you build a fence or you just learn what to live with it what is the fascination with hunting a property line anyway uh, it's it, everybody's I don't know. got it everybody goes to the very back of the property now granted if you're backed up against a state park or the neighbor doesn't allow hunting great but if somebody else if you got two guys sitting both sides just burnt their whole property line up because both of them are going to the back of the property and sitting 20 feet from each other. Mm-hmm. It makes absolutely no sense. I don't get it. There's there's definitely a fascination with people going always going to the back of their property. And I think you, when you really look at it, you can do different things to your property to pull those deer away from the property lines mm-hmm. is, is, is uh, at least what I've been trying to do at home. Well, I think what we're seeing in deer hunting is really a reflection of what we're seeing in society in this country today. We've got a society of deadbeats that don't want to work. They they, they would rather take a free handout. Entitlement. I, I, yeah. I, I remember when I was younger, I, I said, I'm talking when I was in my 20s, I, hadn't, I wasn't the smartest person in my 20s. I did a lot of stupid stuff, but I at least had enough insight in my 20s. I said that. I would rather figure out a way to make a million dollars than to have someone hand me a million dollars. I wanted to earn it. And and that's not the case today. Most people are just, they're, they're so lazy and entitled that they want it handed to them. So instead of going out and, and working your butt off and eventually at some point being able to afford a piece of hunting land, it's so much easier to let somebody else do the work and come sit on the fence. Yep. So you got a thumbs up from your son-in-law on that one. <laughs> That's a great point. I mean, it's just, it's, it's a matter of every aspect of our society right now. It's unfortunately the way that people are raising their kids. It's instant gratification, instant entitlement. Um, mm-hmm. that, that's why I respect the guys that, that start their kids out not shooting uh, deer out of the gate, trapping small game, um, you know, and, and we got a by the way, not to change the subject, you got a lot of good feedback this last week about the idea of having a woodsmanship section in your Whitetail Master Academy. Yeah, I've seen that. Um, There's a lot of people that were interested mm-hmm. in that. So, anyway. Might have to do it. Might have to. Yep. All right. That was the last question. We put them two together, so. Yeah, and you were fairly calm. Uh, people man. if you only knew how much he wants to come unglued right now um and there'll be a time and the place for that but it's not right now so i promise you the story will come out and uh stories uh, i'm telling you uh, there's we, multiple we, multiple we could write stories. a book about this year people don't realize that but between the two of us with these things we could write a book so but for right now it's not the time to really talk about it and uh not the time to tell you all where all of our hunting properties are that's for sure I never realized that it would get to this point that uh, I'd have to do so much to keep a low profile everything I do. But you you want to know what the difference between you and the rest of the guys that are killing these giants on a consistent basis are? <laughs> they all got 1,500 acres or some big block that they can do this on their own place, and you're bouncing around and doing these all on small tracks. That's that's the biggest difference. 
it's no it's, doubt about it. You know, the, the, everybody knows where certain certain celebrities or certain people mm-hmm. in the outdoor industry are killing. They just can't get close to it. And and you're sitting on these little small. I mean, look at the Joey track, five, five acres of woods or something like that that anybody else can hunt. I, I'd say a third of my hunts this year were on private land or on public land. Yeah, a third of them were on public land, and I got some public land stories. I'll tell you what. <laughs> That's going to be a fun episode when those come out. So, uh, um, but anyway, uh, thanks for your support. Uh, please stay on. Don't don't um, click off the podcast. We're going to play a segment for the Lester's Feet Foundation. Um, I haven't told you this, but the closeout of business for October for the foundation, we had the biggest month of distribution of money that we've done so far since we distributed about. $49,800, I believe, in the awesome. month of October. So it was our largest month of helping families. Um, we're just continued to be blessed. But this story that's coming up, uh, for those of you who don't know, Karen Ward is the mother of the two little girls that had leukemia at the same time uh, that basically started the thoughts of doing this whole thing from the beginning. But uh, her kids are still getting treatment, still dealing with some epilepsy. And they're doing a Christmas drive to uh, provide gifts for families that are in the hospital over the holidays. And Lester's Feet, um, we, we were very particular about using the money that was donated for the intention of what it was donated for. So we don't do Christmas assistance for families. We don't, we don't think that's right. You guys donated this money for us to donate or give to families and pay bills to keep them from their house being repossessed or their car being taken. So it's not our thing, but we've set up a separate fund, and you've stepped up. You donated some stuff. Lester's Feet's donated some stuff. We have another company that's come in and and donated some uh, gifts to initiate people to uh, make donations and help the Ward Sisters. This is a project they're doing called the Wish Wagon. Um, where they're collecting gifts to take to the hospital uh, over the holidays. Fantastic project. I hope you stick on and listen to it. It's only about 18 minutes long, but you're not going to want to miss this mother. Uh, just completely inspiring to, to hear her talk about this. So that's all we got. Be sure to check it out. All right. Thanks, everybody. God bless, everyone. Have a great week. Well, welcome to the Matthews segment of the podcast, and uh, this week I have the Chasing Giants official mom of the decade, Karen Ward, on with me. We actually have that award. Did you know that, Karen? I did not know that. I just made it up, but you won it. (laughs) (laughs) It's so official. So uh, Karen has been on the podcast before, actually, with a couple segments to talk about the girls over the years. For We have so many new listeners, Karen. I want to introduce you just for a quick second. Uh, Karen um, was basically the OG. Uh, we found out about Karen and her family through a college softball team that my daughter was affiliated with. And right at the beginnings of Chasing Giants, we mentioned this family on the podcast and all of our listeners rallied around you guys. And you guys were the inspiration in starting Lester's Feet from the very beginning. And I think uh, that was probably, what, two years ago? Yes. About two years ago. So time time flies. But um, um, yes. I think this is the first time you've actually been on camera 
on the podcast. So you got the you you got the kids to bed and you jumped on here. We got some exciting news to talk about tonight. But since so many people don't know about you or started listening afterwards, I'm going to share my screen and put up one of the most awesome pictures I've ever seen you guys post of those three precious girls of yours. And I want you to introduce them so everybody knows who is who, because uh, we're going to be talking about these girls in just a little bit. Okay, on the far right with the headband on, that is Tinley. Tinley is our oldest daughter. She is now six. Um, in the middle, um, with a personality that is larger than life, is Adley. She is our five-year-old. Tinley and Adley are both in kindergarten this year. Um, they're actually in the same classroom. And then on the far left is our littlest um, daughter, Caselyn. Um, and she is two. She turned two in September, and that picture pretty much um, sums her up. She is the most easygoing, happy child you've ever met in your life. So those are three girls. Yeah, and um, for it, it I, I hate even saying this because I don't want you to to be known as the mom with the two girls that had leukemia, but unfortunately that's the cards and, and what you've been able to do with not only caring for your children, but also giving back and being an inspiration to so many. Um, it's just, it's, it's inspiring. I know, um, <laughs> there's, I, I shared a, um, Stephen Curtis Chapman did a, I am second segment f and I, on YouTube the other day, and he talked about the mountains and the valleys. And you sure have had a whole lot more valleys than you've had mountains. And uh, I just want to thank you for what you've done, not only for caring for those girls, but also being an inspiration. Everybody I talk to that has ran into you in a hospital or a, uh, you know, a um, lobby or in the food court talks about how much you have meant to everyone there. So you're making a difference. And that's really why we have you on today. We're going to give a quick update about the girls here at the end. But you have a special project. You're sporting one of the shirts, Ward Warriors Wish Wagon. And, um, you know, Lester's feet's a little bit different, but we want to help promote this very, very special uh, thing that you guys are doing. And the girls are involved in this. So I want you to tell us about it. Yes. Yeah, so, um, some of you all are familiar with our story and some of you aren't, but two years ago, Tinley had a bone marrow transplant after she had relapsed leukemia for the second time. And um, we were in the hospital at Christmas, which was her second Christmas that we spent um, that way, unfortunately. And so um, I'm a, kind of a restless soul and those long days at the hospital, um, they wear on you as a parent, you know, watching your child suffer and um, not be able to leave their room. And you you get these little glimpses of joy that come into your room, especially in the holiday season. But um, we would get this, you know, a little bag here and there or a little toy that would finally her face, Tinley's face would light up and it made it all worth it. And I was like, man, what awesome people that made that happen for her. And we had so many of those people. And um, those were the moments that gave you hope to just push a little bit further, just a little bit further. So um, it was actually the Christmas of 2020. We were sitting in the hospital and my husband and I were thinking, you know, what can we do? We've had so many people that have 
like Lester's feet who have been there for us, families, individuals, churches. We're like, well, what can we do to give back? Um, because if you've ever met my children, um, and speaking specifically to Tinley at the time, she's a nurturer, she's a giver, she's a helper. And we thought, what would she want us to do? Because um, at the time, she wasn't physically capable. So we started what was called Tinley's Tribute. And we um, got on Amazon, made a list for people to send stuff. We were living in Cincinnati. We weren't even in our own home. My mom was at the rental house. The boxes were coming in. She was trying to help take care of the newborn. Caselyn was, um, you know, a couple months old at the time. And... I could cry just talking about it because we would uh, take turns going to and fro to the uh, rental house. And the, the boxes filled like two huge rooms in the rental house. And um, it's those moments that you realize like your struggle isn't in vain. Because I knew at the time Tinley was changing lives because look her story had done. So um, fast forward to January of 2021. Our middle daughter, Adley, got diagnosed with leukemia as well. Um, actually, on the day, we were set to go home from Cincinnati from living there for six months for Tinley's transplant. So um, it's evolved. And what was Tinley's tribute last year became the Ward Warriors Wish Wagon because um, now there were two of them. But it also includes Caselyn, our third, because they're all a part of, you know, making this happen. And um this is our third year, which seems crazy because um, it doesn't seem like it could be that long. But this is the third year. And essentially, we create a wish list on Amazon of things that the girls loved when they were in the hospital. And then it's kind of evolved to feedback from the, the hospital asking what do kids of all ages like to receive at Christmas. Um, also, there's some things in there to help support the family that's staying with them. Um so yeah, here we are, year three of uh, what's now. Do you the guys, you guys collect these list of things that people can buy on Amazon. It, but you can buy stuff on Amazon and it pre-ships. It's already programmed to ship to your place, I think. And the girls actually help package, open the boxes, and put these things in bags. And then you guys are going to take those to the hospital and pass them out. And I think you're going to start with the floors that the girls were on to start with, right? So it's the actual departments that the girls were in for so long. Yeah, that's um, that's always our first goal is um, because a lot of oncology and bone marrow transplant kids, they're there for months at a time. Right. Uh, so we always start there and then we always um, hope to keep going further. Last year, the it was incredible. The um, the outpouring of love, we were able to actually physically provide for every floor at Cincinnati Children's. That's the awesome. entire um, we were also able to get requests from those floors for things that they use with those kids every day and fulfill right. all of those. So um, the wish list is shipped straight to us. Um, I'm actually sitting in a garage right now full of Amazon boxes. So no judgment, please. I'm sitting on a concrete floor that has spoiled. <laughs> on it um, my husband's hunting gear is all back here in the back he's like don't get my my stuff all in the camera I'm like well these people don't care um but we're sitting here with boxes and my husband called me Adley was in Cincinnati for treatment today and he was like we just got home you know um Adley's going out to check and see the boxes and they love it and that's 
the most important thing to us because so many have given to our family and supported our family and our trials and our, we want our children to see what that's all about. And they embrace it and they love it. And um, that makes it even better. So we talk about God opening doors a lot and that could be at any point or time in our life. The Lester's Feet board um, was actually uh, discussing what we could do around Christmas time because we're in this really uh, specific window where we accept donations from fam- or from people to pay bills on behalf of families who have sick children. And we don't think that's being a good steward of that donation to go buy Christmas gifts. So we really are in this thing where we want to help because we know how important the holidays are for families like you guys were. But it's just not something that we feel comfortable taking our donors' money and using because that's not why it was donated. So we had just finished a board meeting trying to strategize on what we could do different to help around the holidays. And I open up Facebook and see your post that you're doing this. So I called you and I texted you immediately and said, you got time to talk. And I think the first thing I said to you was how big do you want this to be? Because every time we've tried to do something on the chasing giants podcast through Lester's feet, God's just blown this thing up. So you said as big as we can make it, and you guys hopefully one day will have semi trucks where this is something that is a as an outreach ministry to you. But uh, Lester's Feet's board has uh, decided to help support you guys and these girls uh, a little bit different way. And what we're going to do is we're going to accept donations to a special fund. So this money that donors can send in to Lester's Feet, 100% tax deductible because we're a nonprofit 501c3. Um, you can write a check or send money through PayPal to Lester's Feet earmarked for the Wish Wagon Fund so that you get a tax deduction. And then we're going to give that money to this Amazon list and try to blow this up. But Karen, it doesn't stop there. And this graphic that I'm going to share with you right now is different than what everybody's going to see. We've partnered with a couple other people And as a thank you to all of the donors, every $50 that you donate, Lester's Feet and Chasing Giants is going to provide a gift back to you in return. So the first gift, we're having Lester's Feet's hats made up, which a bunch of people have asked for. The second gift is a new Chasing Giants hat. The third gift, we have have a lot of Amish listeners that support this. And we know that they won't wear a ball cap. So we we made a Lester's Feet journal notebook and a sticker. So the third our third gift is an 80-page notebook with a Lester's Feet logo. And then Don Higgins has also thrown in item number four, one of his books that he wrote, a hard copy version of his book. So if you donate $50 to the, the Wish Wagon Fund, you can pick one of these four items as a gift of us saying thank you for helping these kids and this family trying to give back. Now, here's the kicker. If you donate 200, you get all four or you can pick four of one of those items. So I'll have a a graphic up on the screen for everyone to see it. This is really important, though. Um, we're going to step up and do this because we want to drive donations uh, for these girls and provide a 
pick me up and a gift for these kids that are on the uh, on these floors of the hospital over the holidays. But there has to be a sense of urgency here, Karen, and you need to talk a little bit about where we're almost, uh, I think, starting the second week in November. And these hospitals have deadlines that we have to get the, the gifts there earlier than just Christmas. So can you talk us through that just a little bit? And then I'll talk about how the donations can come in. I can. We're a little bit, we typically post in October um, and get this started. We've had Tinley's battling a few things epilepsy-wise, so we've been on another roller coaster, but that's a story for another day. We were a little late to the game this year, but nonetheless, we're here. And um, the end of that first week in December is really when the hospitals need the items in hand so that um, they can, it, it takes an army and they're very short staffed right now. I'm sure you guys have heard about the staffing issues at hospitals. So um, they have to have time to do, you know, the organizing and dispersing and all of that stuff. So um, we plan to rent a U-Haul or find a box trailer somewhere, something to deliver all of this to the hospital. But we have to have it by that very beginning of the first week of December so that we can then in turn unpackage it get it um, separated and organized and get it into the hands of the people that will essentially deliver um, to each and every one of the rooms. Um, so yeah, we're on a quick turnaround, but I'm sitting in front of tons of boxes when this was literally just posted a couple days ago. So I have no doubt that, and when you called me, I was like, okay, we can do this. Like we got this because I know, um, the outreach that Lester's feet has, um, and I've seen it with my own eyes. I've got to be on the receiving end of that. So I'm just really excited because I feel like together we can blow the Amazon list out of the water. And I told uh, Terry whenever I was talking about it, I didn't even put everything on it yet because it was like, that started late. I guess, I was, I guess that's Satan is what that is. Like reserve, like, I don't know. I was having reservations. We requested so um it gave me that confidence like hey sit down and put the rest of it on there so i'm working on that it's not there yet but um there are more things that are going to be added um but yeah it's a quick turnaround all right so um let's put a date uh lester's feet need your donation for this cause let's say by what the i don't want to throw a date out there thanksgiving that way we have yeah. a week to get everything organized to your all's place. Um, yeah. yeah, there's a lot of work that's going to go into once the, once the items arrive at the Ward family house or whatever we're going to call this, um, warehouse, probably more than a house. It's going to end up, uh, you're probably going to have to rent a facility by the time our listeners get done with this. So that we have about, great. we have about a week week and a half, but the sooner you can get it, the better. So there's, there's three ways. And I'm going to put this up on the screen for everybody. So they're not confused. You can go to Amazon and just buy a gift and it, it it's on their wish list. We can publish that. Okay. That gets it to them. No big deal. If you donate it through Lester's feet, you will get a charitable contribution statement at the end of the year for that donation. And uh, you'll get one of the free prizes that we're going to give as a thank you. Um, you just choose which prize it is. So um, we're going to post the Amazon link if you want to do that directly. The, the first way is to mail a check to Lester's Feet Foundation. 
The the address is P.O. Box 250, Dry Ridge, Kentucky, 41035. And in that check, that envelope, you need to put in your return mailing address and then which gift you would like to do. And you might want to leave a phone number. That way we can get a hold of you if there's a question. The second way is a PayPal transfer, which is instantaneous, works the same way. You just have to leave you the same comments in the PayPal. Um, I have the QR code up on the screen right now. Works the exact same way. Gets the money to the Ward family to put this. And let me emphasize again, this is not the same money that was donated with the raffles and other things that's going to the families that need the help. But, but I asked you a question today and said, is there any way that we could stuff a Lester's Feet brochure in all of these bags that go to these families? And you said, absolutely. So what this is also doing is this is connecting us and the donations that you all have provided directly to the people who need them and gives us that contact. So we're using Wish Wagon as just an introduction to Lester's feet to all of these families on these floors of not only Cincinnati Children's Hospital, but I believe the hospital in Louisville also. Right? Yeah. Jordan Children's so, in Louisville. Yeah. So um, again, I'm going to leave some instructions. We're going to promote this thing as as good as we can over the next week and a half. If you want to participate, 50 bucks. I know diesel fuel and gas is really high. Inflation's bad. But, um, you know, don't worry about buying uh, something simple, knowing that you're helping brighten the day of a kid in the hospital over Christmas and um, indirectly, possibly making a connection for our foundation to that family to help cover some of the expenses as they're off work caring for that child. It's a win-win for everybody. And I just, uh, I want to thank you because, um, you know, I see the struggle that you have as a mom watching your kids still not out of the woods yet with some, you know, kind of issues that you're trying to overcome. Um, and I, I just think, Wow, what an inspiration to everybody as you're in the weeds doing all of this with your own kids, trying to give back and help other people. It's an inspiration to everybody, and it's it's just God opening another door to connect you, your girls, all of our donors, our listeners, as a way to help others. And I just can't thank you enough for everything you do. Wow. I believe that um, we're not ever... A struggle never comes our way unless there's something good to be made of it. And my my girls are the best example of that I could ever um, I could ever have. They teach me every day, and you know, we um, yeah, they're awesome. Yep. Well, um, I'm gonna say an inside joke here. All these boxes here are gonna be a whole lot easier to smuggle into Children's Hospital than the packages that we've snuck in before. <laughs> little inside joke between me and Karen, but, um, no, um, again, thank you. If you want to help with the ward warriors wish wagon, please reach out to Lester's feet or, uh, follow the link to the direct Amazon wish list. Anything else we're missing? I just want to say thank you for even, you know, um, considering doing this and thank you to all the followers, because I know so many of you have prayed for my family and, um, I want to give a praise because Tinley has gone nine days without a seizure Amazing. and we haven't 
had seizure-free day since last February, and that's all because of prayers, like no doubt about it. So thank you all, um, Terry, for getting behind this and the pleasant surprise calling and offering this up. And thank you to all of all the followers that are going to jump on board, but also for um, keeping our family in your prayers. So we appreciate right. it. All right. Look forward to talking with you. I might be driving down to Western Kentucky to help you pack boxes. All right. That'd be great. All right. Take care. Thanks. Thanks.